0: You know many who are illiterate like they've never been taught to read and write and i asked them about their perceptions of climate change and what's causing these climate uh, these weather changes that they're observing they would often point to the mountains where the forests are being felled and say it's because we're cutting down the trees
1: it has contributed to the rise and fall of civilizations from people who have spent their lives searching for it to today's modern conveniences every single one of us is a stakeholder in it g'day and welcome to humans of agriculture i'm your host ollie laleve and welcome to episode nine as always thanks for joining us well that was anika molesworth and today's chat is taking us to outback new south wales chatting to anika at her family's sheep station in broken hill in far west new south wales It's not so much what happens on the farm that defines Anika, but it's her passion and determination to create a better future through advocating for sustainable farming, environmental conservation, and climate change action. Anika references the sense of responsibility she feels to not only protect her land, but the communities and the industry that are so intertwined with it. She sees a significant role for farmers to connect people to climate, through the food and through what what may seem like small and meaningless roles. Her work to date has seen her front and centre in national debates, on television screens, but I think it's her work in the fields of Southeast Asia and at home here in Australia that really stand out to me. That snippet that was played earlier is just one aspect that was really eye-opening for me during this chat. It's not always necessarily about the facts that will have the most profound impact, it's about that emotive storytelling piece, and Anika does that so well. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Has there been, I suppose, a moment from from your childhood which you just love reflecting on as you start to talk about that kind of connection that you've got to the land and the environment?
0: Well, I guess probably the most like defining um, moment from yeah those early years was like the year 2000 was the start of the decade-long millennium drought, and so we purchased the farm and at that stage, you know, there was, the dams were full of water, the landscape was looking incredible. And, you know, we fell in love with the place and had, you know, these ideas of what we were going to do out here. And pretty much for the next 10 years, there was little to no rainfall. And it really sort of shifted our way of thinking um, that, yeah, okay, farming's not going to be (laughs) a walk in a park Uh, and we really have to understand the natural environment that we're working with, like the land that you're you're, you know, trying to grow food from or fiber from. And so we sort of really were learning as much as we could about, you know, the vegetation out here, the biodiversity out here, um, you know, understanding weather patterns, climate projections, things like that. So we could uh run a a viable farming business. So it's the millennium drought which really sparked um, my interest and trajectory on to, like, yeah, the the environmental connection to agriculture and then how that actually affects community and um, agribusiness, the economy.
1: I suppose when you're de- getting dealt blow by blow, is there a sense of helplessness and kind of throwing your hands in the air with actually how do you get on top of this massive issue, which is the changing climate, how where mm. you guys are?
0: Yeah, like absolutely. It can get quite overwhelming. And I think, um, yeah, people like myself who spend a lot of time reading the science and actually participating in the research of it, uh, you have a very good, clear understanding of what the changes mean, you know, what they're being driven by. Uh, You're looking at the projections uh, on a daily basis of, you know, where we're actually heading. And it can feel, Pretty enormous, because you're not just talking about rainfall or temperature. You're talking about changes in species, changes in pest and disease prevalence. Um, you're ch- you're talking about you know changes in the frequency and intensity of droughts and floods and bushfires and extreme weather events. And I guess it's it's raised a few emotions in me, in that and yeah probably overwhelm hasn't been the the main emotion it's been a sense of a, a sense of um sadness and grief of what we've actually lost so far um and you know then the frustration of knowing unequivocally so clearly like what's actually causing the changes but not seeing people act in a way That would seem responsible. For instance, we know that burning fossil fuels contributes to greenhouse gases, which makes a thicker layer around the atmosphere, which increases global temperature. And yet, we continue to, um, you know, encourage fossil fuel production in this country. And so, I think I sort of then started building a bit bit of frustration of, you know, well, why aren't we changing? Like, why are we accepting the status quo? Why are we? not listening to the science, like the the evidence that is being produced by experts in our community, and that's really what then sparked my um, interest in communication and sharing uh, the story of agriculture as it is impacted by climate change, and most importantly, what we need to be doing about it.
1: It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, when it comes to talking about climate change, I, I, I suppose it's one thing you can look at the facts and you look at the trajectory and also the historical increases, but it's, it's one that people, I suppose, look for, and I suppose it might be the same in any conversation, but they look for little bits that they can use, I suppose, to discount the evidence that you're presenting. Mm. How, how's it going for you actually, when you go public and start speaking about something that if you don't know what you're talking about, or you don't have that kind of backing of the facts, you can be, absolutely shot down by people and criticised.
0: Sure, um, yeah, and I guess that's why a lot of people um, you know, don't feel comfortable about speaking publicly about a science which is incredibly complex and it affects so many different aspects of how our world works and how humans are interacting with it. Um, and it's very easy to feel like, okay, well, I'm not the expert, I shouldn't be talking about this, or I don't have the solution, so why why will I bring up the problems? Um, and I think, you know, that line of thinking has got us into the serious problem we are in now, um, because people think, you know, I'm not the right person or I'm not the right time or there's someone else that can do it better um, and, and they'll they'll sort it out for us. So I feel a very deep sense of responsibility for the land I call home. I go for a walk every evening in the paddock with my dog, um, and it breaks my heart to see how dry it is out there, to see how little vegetation there is out there. Um, you know, it's it's been sad to truck off you know the, the last of our sheep. Um, it's been a real sense of uncertainty for me, uh, not knowing actually what my future is out here. You know, the future that I, dreamt of, of taking on the family farm, doesn't actually seem all that realistic anymore. And that's something that I've had to come to terms with. But I I have a responsibility to speak for the land, which I can see is hurting. I have been very fortunate to have a really good education in the science. Um, I have built a bit of a, a communications Platform, and you know, some people are listening to what I'm saying. So I want to be sharing that message um, and trying to connect people with these these challenges that we are facing in agriculture. And so, something that I'm trying to do is um, it's sort of three part. In that, you know, it's the education aspect of you know, this is the science, this is how we're feeling in the impacts in agriculture. It's the engagement aspect of actually farmers having this incredibly um, powerful story they can share and they can connect everyone to climate and the environment through the food on their plate. And then there's also the empowerment aspect of saying, you know, everyone can actually do something. And although it might feel like small and meaningless, it all adds up and it all helps to, protect and preserve those places that we love and um, you know and yeah the places we call home
1: it is, isn't that you need the champions at the top who are the ones that can represent
2: the- hey it's nick here sheep farmer and rabo bank regional client council member i'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies my job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www au, and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you.
1: The overarching views, but then if it's food waste or if it's turn the air conditioner off and using things more sparingly, not jumping in the car to go to the shops and walking instead or whatever it is, like, there's tiny little things that if you start to bring it across populations, it adds up to be quite exorbitant, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have been so delighted with the support and encouragement I have been receiving. Sure, there's always going to be a, um, a, a bit of a, a vocal minority who don't share the same uh, worldviews or, uh, you know, opinions as you do. And it's important to actually listen to these people because, you know, they might have valid ideas or, you know, valid opinions as to why we can't do this and why we should do that. So it's not about you know blocking your ears and just going you know I'm right you're wrong. It's not like that at all. Um, but it's amazing to see how much uh, momentum um, has been building over the last few years. How much uh, how many people we see you know marching on the streets in these climate rallies and you know writing letters in the newspaper and getting on TV. Farmers for Climate Action, for instance. I mean, we were a group of thirty farmers who met four or five years ago in the Blue Mountains over a weekend. Now we have over five thousand members, farmers from around the country, who are all wanting to do something about climate change.
1: It It was um, the sites last year. I think it was was it May when it was kind of the first big public scale event gathering of, of the school kids in melbourne and then mm-hmm. as you started to look towards later in the year october november and uh, taking over every capital city across australia and, and
0: across the world
1: it's um, yeah, yeah
0: it's been incredible
1: <laughs> with your messaging have you found like there's an area that you try and focus your your energy and effort on
0: um i'm definitely focused on like the solutions and the positive message um, because like I know we can do it better, um I also think for my own mental health, like dwelling on the problems, you know, how hard the drought is, uh, how bad the projections are for my region does weigh very heavily on me, and so for my own self preservation and for looking after um, yeah my my mental health, I need to be focusing on what we can do better and how do we do it better and how do we communicate that others and get others on board. And I find that area actually really exciting and like I love having conversations about it and whether it's about, you know, um, alternative proteins like, you know, algae or insects or it's talking about, you know, renewable energies reducing on-farm electricity bills and how that, um, you know, if farmers can produce it and sell it back to the grid. They get, you know, secondary and stable sources of income. Like there are all these opportunities that I can see in my mind's eye. um, And I just want to go, hey, like, how do we outscale this? How do we like ramp this up? Because there would be so many benefits to our environment, to our, you know, to our people, to, um, you know, income security for us as farmers. And so that's what I talk a lot about.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Like when you actually start, if you were to draw a mind map of what, with food at the centre and then you start to go out and, and branch the tree out into different areas, it touches every aspect of our life. But the, I suppose the yeah. hurdle we've got is actually how is it understood or related to each person with how they interact. And if we, if we can bridge that, then it's absolutely relatable to each person, but it's coming back to that broader piece, which is the food system.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I think like us in agriculture do have such an important role in actually sharing that story and connecting people to what's happening out here in rural and regional Australia, because I am amazed as well as being alarmed when I go to uh, a capital city and I give a talk and someone's like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry it was it's raining today. And I go, Christ, like <laughs> we've been in drought for a fair few years. Like I'm I'm loving the rain. Or I'm talking about how Um, you know, climate change threatens the nutritional value of food, and they go, wow, like, I I never realised that. And there is, unfortunately, this disconnect between people uh, living in urban environments and rural communities, not for any fault of their own, but farmers in Australia, we make up less than 1% of the population. So there's a lot of people out here in Australia who have Never met a real farmer, who have never seen a real farmer. And that's why I think, you know, what you're doing in that trying to share these stories from rural Australians, from people working in farming, is just so incredibly important.
1: It's crazy, isn't it? When you, I think the studies, which was the National Farmers released their report in 2018, and it was that 86% of people who responded across all kind of generations were saying that they've either got a distant or non-existent relationship to people producing. And it's, it's a two way problem. It's not just that the consumer is disconnected. It's that agriculture is actually not getting into where that person is relating to their food. And, and i think like, I was chatting about it a couple of years ago and it was, let's not talk in milk and coffee beans and sugar. Like let's talk about the coffee that people are, having one, two, three times a day, every interaction they've got, you've actually got the chance to bring three different commodities and thousands and thousands of farmers in Australia and overseas yeah. into that conversation.
0: But yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's so multi-layered too in that, um, you know, with the average age of an Australian farmer, what, like 58, 57 years old. I mean, these are people who haven't actually grown up using Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and things like that. So, you know, young young people in agriculture who are using these platforms, who are, you know, taking photos of these gorgeous outback environments and, you know, are showing them, you know, harvesting the crops in the fields, like they are getting a lot of interest and attention because people want to know where their food comes from. They want to feel confident um, in how it's been produced. Uh, so... We are in an amazing position that people want to hear from us. We've just got to do it well and do it effectively.
1: Yeah. And the other thing too, like people, when they're taking photos on farm, it's just, it doesn't take much to make a photo look beautiful. And no, when, when you're feeling down or even at the moment in times when you're sitting at home and thinking, oh, I just want a distraction and you jump on TikTok or Instagram or whatever it may be, yep. and you see these photos, it's, it's awesome to see. And you're yeah, absolutely. instantly jealous that you're stuck inside an office.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't love a baby farm animal? I mean, come on. We've got the easiest <laughs> sell of any sector.
1: <laughs> oh, I think, um, was it New Zealand lamb or something? They they've had, like, marketing into China was a lamb with a little bow tie. And it's like, oh, this right. is just, it's so ridiculous, but it does look good. It connects. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I suppose, so you've spent a bit of time overseas and that's created a, has that furthered your passion more or has it made you more more frustrated with that disconnect that exists um in australia
0: um it's been wonderful to like open my eyes to agriculture globally um to sort of understand you know how worlds apart different farming systems are around the globe but also those common threads that actually flow through them also like. There are commonalities between the subsistence farmers in Laos facing drought and me facing drought here in Australia and how we are feeling those impacts and how we are responding. So uh, yeah I was lucky enough to spend um, my masters over in Laos in Southeast Asia uh, working with farmers over there and then I did my part of my PhD in Cambodia so I've spent a fair bit of time in uh, Southeast Asia, but then I've been lucky enough to travel to other parts of the globe too to learn about their farming systems. Um, I absolutely love meeting and working with young people in agriculture all around the globe. Like, I think we all share this this real excitement for our sector, like this real interest in like, how do we do it better? So that's been like super inspiring for me. And it's not, you know, when I go over to, say, Southeast Asia, for instance, where I've been doing research with some of the world's poorest farmers, it's not about, you know, going over there and taking Australian knowledge and going, well, how can we implement this here? It's having this really good dialogue of, of like, what your challenges are, you know, what can I actually learn and bring back to Australia and communicate with the agricultural sector here? How can we work better together? How can we share you know, knowledge and ideas and support each other. I really do think of um, farmers globally as like a big farming family. And I think as we face you know, these big global challenges of how do we feed a rapidly growing global population with reduced environmental footprint in a climate changed world, we've got to do that together. Like we've got to figure it out together as a global farming family
1: been really interesting looking at how some of the different like technology or yeah technology even communications I think it was in, in India how they were keeping food on people's plate was that Google had um basically they've got a free satellite imaging um thing which they, they were able to use to look at the ripeness of different crops. And then so with every with India in lockdown for coronavirus they're actually able to then look at what routes and roads needed to be open to get the farm workers to those areas and oh, wow. kind of what services needed to support them. Like it's, it's amazing like that, but I think your approach there is it's not what we can take to them, but what they can actually teach us coming back.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. Like both ways. Like I think we can all learn from each other and um, yeah, the the farmers that I meet and talk with, like, they are just as curious to, learn from my experience as I am to learn from their experience
1: amazing isn't it when like culture comes into it and you go I've traveled a little bit but not not nowhere near as much as I'd I'd like to but in Australia it's the same thing you drive up someone's driveway and onto their farm and the first thing they'll offer you is a cup of tea or a coffee (laughs) yeah over there it's the the same cultural thing that that, even those people who are the poorest of the poor they're willing to give something up straight away to make you feel welcome in their culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you the number of, yeah, farms that I visited in Laos where like the house is literally, um, you know, bamboo sticks and a thatched roof and, you know, they just, they serve the most, generous meals and you know you have the most vibrant discussions and you know you're sitting there laughing the day away (laughs) and it's just this amazing um yeah culture in agriculture of yeah wanting to share your story and you know your your passion for the land and what you're doing um and to learn from each other i i think that's It's really beautiful and that's why I I enjoy working in the farming sector so much because of the people. I just
1: want to loop back to chatting about climate change and the effects of the subsistence farmers, whether it's in Africa or Asia, um, from your experience that, that you've seen, are they more aware of the environmental changes that are happening around them?
0: Yep, so a lot of these subsistence farmers, they have very low adaptive capacity when it comes to climate change, in that they have limited resources, they have limited labor, they have limited finances, they have small land sizes, Um, you know, they're afflicted by water insecurity, food insecurity, things like that. So when they do get hit by a flood or a drought or an insect outbreak, they feel that incredibly because they were producing such little food or fibre to begin with, um, being hit by an extreme weather event or even you know, a, 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 uh, an illness in the family, it really makes them tumble further into hardship very quickly. So they're much you know, closer to the precipice than we are um, in Australia where we have that, that cushioning room. Uh, I've found it interesting in Southeast Asia, traveling around and speaking and working with the farmers there, that, you know, uh, many of the farmers who are older generation, like that's a global trend, that they're older people, who have had little formal education and particularly little, um, you know, they've never been taught about climate change science. They understand, you know, acutely the changes that are happening in their environment like they can tell you the number of days that the, that the dry season is extending each year they can describe to you the insects that they had never seen before which are now eating their crops i found it very interesting in lao when i was having this conversation with these farmers you know many who are illiterate like they've never been taught to read and write and i asked them about their perceptions of climate change and what's causing these climate uh, these weather changes that they're observing they would often point to the mountains where the forests are being felled and say it's because we're cutting down the trees. And it wasn't because they were understanding that um, trees photosynthesize and take in carbon and all of that. It's because they have a spiritual belief that when their um, you know, family members, ancestors pass away, the spirits live in the forest. And by cutting down the forest, you're disturbing the spirits and they're getting angry and they're you know, causing this havoc on the villages and on the, the landscapes and things like that. So they understood, I guess, what was driving the changes and that we're not respecting the environment and it's having real impacts on the farming livelihoods. But they were understanding it from a different, a, a different way, a different culture. Um, from that you were aggravating the ancestors the ancestral spirits. And I found that super interesting.
1: it is That's um it's amazing, isn't it, when you think you can throw a whole bunch of facts at people, but when you start talking just then that simple example of their their beliefs and tying cultures into those mm. forests and then you're disturbing the resting, like that that has such a profound impact hearing the, those kinds of stories as as much as any kind of evidence.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so when we start to talk about, um, you know, addressing climate change and addressing deforestation, you have to approach it in different ways with different people because presenting that Lao rural agrarian community with, okay, this is the science, this is why you shouldn't cut down trees um, because of carbon sequestration reasons, uh, might not be so easily grasped by them. But if you talk in terms of, yeah, you know, looking after the health of the forest and how that, you know, preserves, uh, you know, good community spirit and balance and things like that, you know, they understand that perfectly. They know, okay, we we can't be cutting down the trees.
1: How does your messaging change, I suppose? Like how I've seen you interact is is on Twitter, um, it's a, I suppose, it's a common kind of selfie, a video of you just walking around the farm, chatting to your phone. But how do you, I suppose, get a message out there, but try and get it as far-reaching as possible? And what what are you learning about actually promoting your messages and, and how are they changing?
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm not really... We're never going to move as quickly as we need to be moving if we just talk amongst ourselves uh, in the farming sector and if I just talk to people who get it and think the way I do, um, I'm, I'm never gonna have an impact like that. So I'm actively trying to reach people who, you know, who have never set foot on a farm, who don't see the world the way I see it, who don't have an emotional connection to the land like I feel. So I've been sort of testing and trialing how to communicate for, you know, a fair few years now Uh, and it's all a learning process and it will be a learning process for as long as I live of like how do you share your story in a way that, you know, people react and respond to it. Um, So I mean, yeah, I'm playing around with the different social media channels and on the different social media channels, I'm tweaking my message. So whether it's you know on Instagram and I'm posting you know a beautiful photo of the landscape and I'm talking about you know why I love this place or this tree so much and then on Twitter I know that I'm being followed by people who are more uh politically minded who are engaging in topics of policy and government and so my message there is more directed to them uh, or in a language that yeah res- res- responded to and um in that way um but yeah like I'm I'm experimenting with you know radio newspaper I'm very much a yes person so whenever someone says hey do you want to get involved with this I'll go yeah sure um and then I'll freak (laughs) out about it the day before I'll go like why the hell did I say yes to that
1: no (laughs) Um, worries about all those other commitments you've got
0: (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) but I think really it's about pushing ourselves as individuals out of our comfort zones because that's when you are going to experience the most personal growth. That's where I'm going to learn the most, that's where I'm going to be able to refine the way that I'm talking and sharing my story. So I really look for those opportunities that do make me feel a little uncomfortable and then learn how to manage and respond to that situation.
1: And so In terms of getting your message out there you're trying something new at the moment and becoming an author
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes so very excitingly I am going to write a book Um, so I've just been in the very early stages of jotting down ideas flicking through notes that I've compiled over the last many years um working out yeah what I want to talk about and what concepts and ideas I really want to dive into. Because I find agriculture so fascinating. I find the big challenges that our world is facing extraordinarily big and challenging. Um, But these are challenges that we're going to have to face in our lifetime. As farmers who live and work so closely with the natural world, we're going to feel them first. We are like on the front lines of Feeding a growing global population in a climate changed world and so we need to actually have those you know those courageous conversations of I don't know how to handle the drought getting worse I, I honestly don't but who out there does like who can I work with who can I connect with um, it's not just sort of thinking I, I can only speak up when I have all the answers it's trying to connect with people uh now and learn from them and um you know get other people inspired with what you're doing in farming so they want to like help work it all out with you.
1: And is that something you think being a younger person who's taking on these challenges which it like it's it's easy to identify that these problems are far bigger than just yourself and you alone or you with a hundred others aren't going to be able to solve these problems. But Has it been reassuring getting that support?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I am actually quite an introverted person who just loves hanging out by myself on a farm. (laughs) Um, So actually speaking to media and talking in front of hundreds or thousands at conferences uh, is not an easy thing for me to do. And, you know, years gone You know, I was being physically ill before getting on stage because I was, like, that nervous. It made me that uncomfortable. But as you say, like, these challenges are so much bigger than the individual. Like, I know that climate change is so much bigger than myself. And so if I stutter and stammer on stage or, you know, get something I wanted to say a bit wrong or if I cop some flack on Twitter, I can live with that because of that responsibility I feel for my family, my community, for the farm, Um, I want to learn as much as I possibly can uh, to look after this place that I love and call home. And it's been incredible that so many people have come forward over the years and sort of said, oh, you know, well done, like, you did great up there. And how can I support you? Or how can I share your message further? And that's been super encouraging and helped me go further and further.
1: Is it something that you think will define you kind of into the future? Like, are, you, are you comfortable being known as Anika Molesworth, the agriculture advocate on climate change? Or, or what kind of title would you like affiliated, I suppose?
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> to be honest, that um, when one Googles like young farmer and climate change and my name comes up repeatedly, that scares the hell out of me because I think all farmers should be talking about this. I think, um, you know, this This is food security. This is having flowing rivers. This is, you know, mental health in rural communities. Um, for people to think, oh, you know, climate change, that's a bit of an icky, difficult subject. I'm not gonna talk about that. Like, that's that scares me, actually. <laughs> And so if that means that I'm I'll stand out there and I'll talk about it, you know, until I'm a horse um, and people are sick of hearing it from me, I'll do that because maybe that will actually give some confidence to someone else who will stand up and go, hey, like I'm feeling the drought too, and you know, the projections at my place look really bad and I want to do something about it also. I don't know what I wanna be known for. I don't know about the legacy thing, but um yeah I, I hope that I will be in a sea of farmers concerned about climate change and acting on it and and I will just be one of millions and millions of voices saying the same thing yeah
1: no, I'm with you there I think it it's interesting isn't it when it comes to things that people are so passionate about it was a couple of years ago, and we were doing this as ag and trying to get producers and consumers talking and we i think we're getting support from industry and like both sides. It was that one of my mates actually said to me, he's like, Oh mate, love what you're doing. I'll support it and share the stuff you put on, but I don't want to put myself in front of the camera to take a photo or um, to do a video and say a few words, because I don't want to be shot down. And I think like for me, that was just at that point where I was like, Oh shit, like something actually has to change in the mindset of what we're doing. Cause we're not just going to sit on our laurels and, we're going to wake up in 10 years time and it's business as usual, but like we're not going to wake up in 12 months time and it's going to be the same as what it is today. Like things are just changing way too quickly. And yes, you don't have to be the person who's front and center of all the conversations. But if one person can choose one other person to chat to about it and that person then chooses one and you just start to see the put it, put the challenge out more broadly. Like that's what's got to happen. and from my perspective of ag whether it's climate change or even just asking a consumer like what are you concerned about with how i produce food and not being scared of not having the answers but being able to actually provide a platform for a conversation
0: yeah absolutely i couldn't agree with you more um i think it's probably actually a, a common trait for people working in agriculture that's they don't actually mind spending time by themselves and you know, talking to big groups and talking on the media does not come naturally to us. Like, we are actually quite comfortable with this, this social isolation thing. Um, and so I totally don't blame people in the farming sector who go, yeah, like, I actually don't want to put my face on social media and I don't want to talk loudly about um, you know, the challenges that we're facing out here in our rural community. I don't, I don't want to be a spokesperson. But I think because the challenges are becoming so great that they're hitting us so quickly, you know, every summer, you know, these bushfires are getting worse. (laughs) Like they are actually seriously impacting lives and livelihoods Uh, that we really need to be stepping up and yeah, pushing ourselves out of those traditional comfort zones and going, yeah, I I am actually going to put something on social media or speak to my local ABC radio and talk about, um, you know, the mental health issues in my community or something like that but we need to be supporting farmers to be able to do that we need to actually give them the training to feel confident to get on to media so we need to work out how to be um yeah push ourselves our comfort zones and how to be resilient when it doesn't go according to plan
1: yeah and that absolutely comes back to that community piece of helping each other out. Like it's it's the first thing people do when someone's going through a time of hardship. So why not flip it on its head and actually well let's and it happens, but it's yeah, how do you start to push the get proactive about talking about things, but supporting one another as you're doing that rather than hanging shit on James or Sarah or whoever it is that decides to throw themselves out there and, and see what happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, I just use myself as an example of yeah, like I find doing the communication piece, well, in the past, incredibly difficult and challenging for me personally, but I've, like, I've practiced and practiced and tried and, like, reached out for, to other people to learn how to do it better, to become more resilient, um, and people can look on and go, oh, you know, she's a natural, she can speak on stage, she's, you know, it's easy for her. It's it's definitely not. Um And so yeah we absolutely need to be supporting each other and working out well how do we do this better as a farming community
1: well i hope you enjoyed today's chat as much as i did each week we're bringing people from right across agriculture to the conversation to increase the understanding and awareness surrounding our food system over the coming weeks we'll be chatting with nutritionists superfood companies in market marketing expertise in overseas and so much more we love having you on the journey and can't wait to bring more episodes to you